of us, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 15 as we continue on in our series, The Time for Truth is Now. Romans chapter 15, it does take me a minute, you know that, just to kind of transition. I want to welcome every single person that is here today. There's a a lot of places you could be. There's a lot of like noise and distraction out there. And I remind people all the time that I tell you what, you made the right decision to be together with the Lord's people, okay, in the Lord's house where two or three are gathered. I'm in the midst. On the Lord's day, we set one day apart to gather and focus all of our attention on the Lord. You've made the right decision to be here this morning, and I welcome you, especially if it's your first time to Big Woods Bible Church. It is a delight and a joy to have you here. Our text will be found in Romans chapter 15. I'll read verses 17 through 21 in just a moment. Before we get there, would you please bow your heads and pray with me? I know we just did that with the little ones. <clears throat> But we can never have too much prayer. Pray with me. Father, we do come into your presence. And we are most grateful. Lord, I I can't help but think. At this very hour. 21 years ago. We were terrified in fear of being under attack. And I know that young people don't fully understand that and don't remember that. But they are certainly aware of the same fact that is so evident today. People are still blinded. People are still ensnared in hatred and anger that that a thing like an enemy is a very real thing and father as we pause this morning with our heads bowed in your presence it says that we're to love our enemies so father today we pray specifically as we know that evil is real it still exists We pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of the blind. It says, Lord, that you can take a heart of of stone and and turn it into a heart of flesh. And we pray for that, knowing that there is great power in your word. We know, Lord, that in the presence of your spirit, there is great power. We pray, Lord, for the world that we live in right now. And it seems like a sweeping request, but Lord, that is the cry and and plea of our heart right now. And I thank you that we have within our laps the message of the gospel. The only hope in a world that seems to be spiraling out of control faster and faster. We thank you for the hope of Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection. I would pray, Lord, that we would keep that in the very forefront of our minds. Father, I pray for people that are here this morning that are struggling. 
deep within their hearts. And, and, and they may sit here and, and smile and, and sing, but within their hearts, they're, they're aching. And I pray, Lord, that you would minister to them. Allow your word to be a soothing balm, to strengthen, to encourage, and to comfort. And for all of us, Lord, may we hear a word from you. May, may we be able to mark this day on our calendar knowing that you have spoken and that we, your children, have heard and we've been obedient. Lord, I plead for help. I'm, I'm in total, total desperation for clarity of thoughts and mind and speech so that every single word which, which we will all give account for, I will give account for this morning. So that every word is for your glory, for your glory alone. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful, matchless name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the Messiah. Amen and amen. Okay, so here it is. We have the promise of the Messiah, which we have seen in the hope of scriptures. It is a promise to the ethnos to the nations. We know that the whole world is to know. As a matter of fact, the whole world needs to know. So in, in Romans chapter 15, we've been focusing on Christ. First and foremost, the ultimate example, Christ, our absolute hope. And now today, we're actually in week two of what I call Christ. His message is our mission. I mean, first and foremost, just direct your attention to the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 15, the words will be in front of you on the screen. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, the Word of God. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, as I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written... Those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand the word of the Lord. Last week, we considered, if you remember at all, the importance of being an effective church. And now this week, we look a little bit more specifically at the fact that an effective church or a faithful church is a mission-minded church. Last week, if you recall as well, we looked at how the Apostle Paul was the priest, fulfilling his priestly responsibilities, just like we are called to as well. But now we will see and we will learn that he's not only the priest, but he's, he's, he's actually the, the preacher as well. Matter of fact, we could add that he's the pioneer and explains the importance of the ministry, of the mission, which in really 
In many ways, the big idea of the text is found in verse 20. It says, preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. Today we're going to see two things, two simple points this morning that we must realize, we must recognize that must be present in the work that we together as a local body of believers have been called to. And the first one is this. We have to have what I call a divine enablement. And you can write this down. You need to remember this. Okay? In verse 17, Paul speaks of how he is proud of my work of God. I'm proud of my work of God. This may sound a little odd. Maybe, maybe you'd even think, isn't this a little kind of like boastful or braggadocious? But it is, it is not that. Rather, he is speaking of this. The accuracy and the content and the effectiveness of his ministry being the sole work of Jesus that was accomplished on the cross and in the tomb and the sole work of the Holy Spirit at work in the hearts of mankind. Remember, he writes first, before he writes that, in Christ Jesus. Then I have a reason to be proud if you know anything about Pauline literature, this is not uncommon for him to speak like this. Remember, in both of his letters that he wrote to the church at Corinth, both 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, and 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, he says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I have a chair in our living room that I do my reading at every single day, and and I can sit in my chair and I look out our, our front window and I see a tree. It's a dogwood tree. And, and it is, in all honesty, a pretty impressive tree that somehow, actually it's, it's one trunk but two different trees somewhere in its, in its origin, in its beginning, Two trees actually grafted together as one. And so every single springtime, as it blossoms, it blossoms like this gorgeous pink and also white. It's a very unique tree. It's a beautiful tree. This past spring, as Wendy and I were walking throughout our neighborhood, we were stopped by an older woman who knows a lot more about trees than we do. And she said, and I quote, I think that dogwood tree in your lawn is the most beautiful tree in the entire neighborhood. My response is what? Well, when we were designing the tree, we had decided to graft two different ones. When, when we were planting it, we, what we had decided to do, what is my response? You know what? You know what? I do, you know what we do? We look at it. That's all we do. We look at, we take pictures of it every single spring. We take pictures of the same tree. We do nothing. We have zero responsibility. We don't even water it. It's a tree. You don't water a tree. It just like does that itself. We look at it and I pick up the leaves that fall off at the end of the year. That's it. I have no responsibility. And yet somehow, Somewhere, I, I think it's the creator who designed and, and, and positioned it and placed it right there so that I can see it every single day and remind it 
Beauty exists. Blessing exists. And I have nothing to do with it. It is all the work of the Lord. That, that's the attitude that Paul has here. Yet think of it from what we know by reading the New Testament. Paul really could have a little bit of a personal reason to boast. Probably more than any other apostles. Even if you consider the giants. The heavy hitters of the faith. Peter and John. Good men, no doubt. Powerful apostles used for amazing works. Paul has in many ways surpassed. He was the antagonist turned apostle whom God had chosen to write more of the New Testament than any other author. I think you would agree with me that Paul's got, he's got a little cred built up. He's got some money in the bank. He could boast, but he does not allow it to go to his head. He just does not go there. Rather, he points to it. He places what? The attention primarily on one. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. In my notes, I have this word, stop. And I always put like, it's just like a little stop sign around it. Like I just do that in my head. And, and, and I have now just stop. Oh, how I wish others in the church of Jesus Christ today would learn from Paul's humility that points only to Christ's sufficiency. Oh, how I wish there was less of us in your brilliance and your vocabulary, and your giftedness. Oh, how I wish there was less of us and more of him. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul is so certain of his own insufficiency, he actually expands upon this idea and is teaching us. In our weaknesses, we're able to see what Christ's strength. If you recall in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 12, in verse 5, on behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. For I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it. So that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. A thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me. To keep me from becoming conceited. Three times. I pleaded with the Lord about this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord that it should leave me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will most all the more gladly. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses. And insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities for when I am weak then I am strong you see see what Paul is doing here he's teaching us how to think as a church he, he's teaching us how to live and, and do you realize this the people whom God chooses 
to use for, for the accomplishment of his will are his instruments. It's not you. God designed you for his glory. God created you. God, God gifted you. And God placed you right here in this place at this time. Why? So that together we're more effective than separates. Breaks my heart to see people refuse to gather in fellowship and worship. It breaks my heart as a pastor. We have to be together as we live for his glory and not our own. I read just this week, no brush can ever take credit for a masterpiece that was painted. No violin can ever take credit for the beautiful piece the musician played. We are certainly not to take credit for the work of the Lord. And yet, let me remind you, we're also never to belittle what God has done through us. You realize that? If, if we just belittle what God has done in us and allowing us to be used for his glory in some kind of way, gifted us for effective work. If we belittle that, then we attempt to belittle God's own work directly. Now, now what he does here, he also writes of other things that God used to enable him. To actually affirm his life and his ministry and his accomplishments that brought the Gentiles to obedience. He says what? By word and deed. By words and actions. What Paul is saying here is what? He speaks about the fact that by God's grace alone, his life was consistent with his message. In the, in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, there was no hypocrisy. You know how people like put on like little fake smiles? They come to church, everything's wonderful. Okay, there's no, there's no hypocritical spirit in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. There's no self-righteousness. There's no hidden motive or agenda. His, his deeds, his actions matched his words. His walk matched his talk. Now just think for a moment, and we won't pause too long here, but think of the damage that has occurred to the work of God, the work of the gospel, when there has been disparity in the message that one is proclaiming and the life that one is actually living. Just think of that for a moment. How, how many times... How many times we have awoken to the news of yet another pastor, another preacher of the gospel, another missionary, another evangelist, another father, another husband, another mother, professor and author. Some, someone who has lived one way in the public eye and yet what? Totally, totally different in their private life. And Paul says, no, not here. Not with me. Gentiles are brought to obedience. There's effective ministry of the gospel. Why? By word and by deed. And he also actually speaks of the uniqueness of his ministry being divinely enabled in other ways. He says what? By the power of signs and wonders and by the power of the Spirit of God. He's what? He's drawing attention off of himself and he's putting it, placing it where it needs to be. The power of signs and wonders. The power 
of the Spirit of God. Twice. In this one verse, this word use, is use your power. The word is dynamis, where we get our word dynamite from. Listen very carefully. Eric Llewellyn speaks on this word. It covers a wide range of meanings in the New Testament. It can refer to capacity, as in the description, the sun shining in its dynamis, in its strength, from Revelation chapter 1. The word can be used of competency, as when servants are given talents, each one according to his own dynamis or his own ability, in Matthew chapter 25. It can be used as a noun to describe a ruler in a position of power. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 24. The word dynamis is a use as a term for miracles. Both those done by Jesus and by the apostles and other Christians. And he writes, with some frequency, the New Testament links power, Jesus' power, Jesus' dynamite, with his authority, with his exousia. Think about this, the word Dynamis functions as a description of God's action in the gospel and its empowering effects in the life of the church. In your life, there's power that exists in the testimony that God has given to you in your words. Do you, do you think about that? Do you realize that? Thus the responsibility to steward well. Now, if you look at this word power, I just sidestep for just a moment. We know that before the completion of the full gospel message that was recorded in the New Testament, God often used dramatic events, oftentimes miraculous events, to authenticate and to affirm the true preaching and teaching of the Word of God, to reveal that its power was ultimately what? It all pointed towards God himself. Amazing testimony. Blind people, like totally blind were able to see. Lame people, people who had never taken a step in their entire life were able to get up and walk. That kind of power. A leper, just what? Totally, totally. Their body wrecked, reeking. And God displayed the power that exists to heal them. In fact, it says in Mark chapter 16 and verse 20, and they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Now, now personally, I believe that specific gifts that the apostles were given, such as is listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the, the gift of healing, I believe had ceased, according to what we read in the very next chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But I believe that God certainly does he can and, and still heals all the time. James chapter 5 speaks about the fact that what? If anyone is, is sick, call for elders, anoint to pray for healing. God heals however he wants, whenever he wants. He's not limited by anything. Understand what God is doing here. There are no limits to his work. Thankfully, we have within us the Spirit of God and we have before us the Word of God that have over and over again and again proven and performed the greatest miracle of all miracles. And that is what? A changed life. A regenerated life. 
Think about the power of turning a person. How does that happen? The power of turning a person from the enemy of God that we prayed for this morning to a friend of God, to a child of God. Think about how does it happen, the power that exists of being transformed from a sinner to a saint, from a dead person, dead in their sins, to one who walks in the newness of life. Death to life. I don't think that there is a greater testimony of the power of God than seeing up close. And you have all met one. Some of, some of whom are seated here this morning, the testimony of a life that is totally transformed. That's, that's the gospel. That, that's the hope. Freedom from our past. Didn't we learn in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now, present tense, no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. We learned in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, old things are passed away. It doesn't matter how horrible, how terrible. Old things have, have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Not only the message of the gospel holds what? The power of living free from our past, but also gives to us hope for the future. In Romans chapter 8, it actually describes us that we are more than conquerors. Like there's conquerors and then there's, there's us that God chooses to use through his power. More than conquerors. It says that when Jesus freed us in John chapter 8, verse 36, we are free indeed. We're free indeed. The extent of this and how this happens and where this happens. As Paul just steps back and he says, let me, let me tell you what God has done in the lives that have been transformed. The Gentiles that have been brought to obedience from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. Do you realize where this is? This is Albania present today. It's former Yugoslavia. He begins in Jerusalem, the, the, the birthplace, our history, the first church, all the way to the ends of the known world at that time. Not only do we see a divine enablement from the Apostle Paul, but there's something else. And this is, this is where we want to kind of land for a few moments. Secondly, a desire for evangelism. It's evidence. It's proof. A desire for evangelism. Still part of one. And this is Paul. It's not really that uncommon in his writing. We may call it, and, and some English teachers would probably cringe at the run-on sentence. Okay, this is one of these run-on sentences. It begins all the way in verse 18. But he's building toward a single focus, a, a big idea, a main point. And you can be certain he does not want us to miss any of the supporting truth. And he finally gets to what I call the big idea in verse 21. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named. Unless I build on someone else's foundation. Specifically, it's a desire for evangelism. But I put in parentheses here, what is it? To specific people. To the unreached people. As we sit in the, the cozy confines and the comforts of a safe, warm, dry, and we get to worship at will. 
Our focus today has got to be on what? What I just told those little ones about. 3.2 billion people who've not heard of the name Jesus. Now, now if Romans, a letter what? We know that was written to the Christians in Rome. There's some squabbling going on here between Jews and Gentiles. It was written to define and explain correct theology and doctrine. It was written also to identify errant theology, which was certainly needed when it came to key doctrines of justification, sanctification, and glorification. If, if Romans does all of that, then it's what? It's the book of Acts that reveals the strategy and the history and the story of how this goes forward and where this goes. Not only to Rome, but ultimately to the rest of the world. And we won't have time to dig too deep in, but a, a casual reading. A brief, quick, high-level reading of the book of Acts proves that Paul was different in some way. A, a, a pioneer, a missionary pastor, a, a church planter who was constantly, constantly pushing the boundaries. He was constantly kind of cutting a swath, a new path. He's pressing forward. He's walking, he's hiking, he's sailing, he's riding further and further and further. It's, it's, it's like he's relentless. He's almost inexhaustible. And yet, think of what he faces. Faces is no doubt that he had physical ailments. He suffered greatly. He's got a thorn in his side, probably a figure of speech that says, I got either someone in my life or I got a physical pain. We're not told what that is. He is not unfamiliar with being attacked. He's not unfamiliar with the assaults and the sickness and the shipwrecks. And yet he was driven, as he explains, to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. I love Frank S. Meads, and I've quoted oftentimes, where he does a, a brief biography on many. Listen to this description of the Apostle Paul. I was trying to edit some of it out, but I just can't. Sorry. Paul pulled in the polls of his, of, of, the, of his ancient world, and he bound them to the cross. From Italy to Syria, he blazed the trail for Christ. In Macedonia and Thrace and Greece, Asia Minor, Galatia and Pisidia. In Bithynia, Pontus and Cappadocia, Cilicia, Syria, Cyprus and Aduma. He threw open to the Gentiles the doors of the Christian church and bade them come in. And along that trail, the grand old missionary was whipped and stoned and starved and frozen, shipwrecked, half drowned, and finally beheaded. None of these things could clip his wings, his life. He knew he was safe. Union with Christ was his eternal security he wrote with frenzied pen his letters now are bible books wellsprings of doctrine the scaffolding of church theology peter's spirit may be the church's rock paul's writings are the superstructure the side walls and the roof self-sacrifice was his life's law calvary its passion 
Paul taught principles rather than rules. He was as courageous as he was faithful, as indifferent to criticism as he was stubborn for righteousness. He is one of truth's dominant heroes, Christianity's noblest martyr, the New Testament's Moses, the pivotal portrait in the gallery of the soldiers of the cross. We get a little bit of a glimpse here of who this man was. He's speaking what? Going to places so I don't build on someone else's foundation. It's not that it's wrong to build on someone's foundation. At some level, we all kind of do that. But he's, he's speaking about the focus has got to be on those who have not heard. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. But, but it's what? It's this insatiable. Spirit-born, spirit-driven, spirit-gifted, spirit-equipped longing and a desire for others. For everyone, for all to know the name of Jesus. Specifically to those who have not heard. And again, let me just review what I reminded the little one. 7.7 people on the face of this world. 3.2 billion people. It means that they will be born, they will live their entire life, and they will die without ever hearing or knowing of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know on average what the church's response is towards that work? On average, in North America today, Christians give 2.5% of their income to the church. 2.5% on average. You can give 15% as a tip for your caramel macchiato frappuccino, but we can't give 10%. You, you, You realize at some level here, where we're 95% of American Christians in the churches spend all of their offerings on stateside ministries or missions. 95% stays right here. And I think you'd agree with me that the United States of America, North America, is not in unreached. Yes, there are unbelievers here that need to know and hear and respond to the gospel. You are the one who's called to reach them. This is not an unreached 2% on average of what churches give to overseas missions goes to unreached people groups. Do you you realize that Americans spend more on bubblegum as a nation than what is sent to overseas missions? And, And do you realize that Americans spend more on dog food Dog food, it's going to die. It's got no soul. Sorry, feed it well, take good care of it. But people focus more on their animals than they do on what? A world filled with people that are dying and going to hell and have never heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's our commissioning. It's our calling. And it's our responsibility. It's your responsibility alongside of mine to make sure that we pull up everything that we can to make sure The name of Jesus 
is hurt. Just this week, I was convicted, and so I, I wrote our, our finance team, who does an amazing job, and, and I said, I, I need to have, I need some information here. And I know it's in reports, and I know we've seen it, it's, it's kind of buried somewhere. Fresh in my memory on this, how are we doing as a church giving to what's happening over there? A lot of churches, I would just tell you, I've been a pastor for a number of years, a lot of churches focus, if we, if we can give at least 10% of everything that comes in here to missions, and we'll live on the other 90%, then we're doing okay. That's a typical goal for a lot of faithful churches. Tom Stover, our treasurer, got back to me, and he said, Tim, I want to tell you that 15.3%, 15.3% of everything goes that comes in is dedicated towards mission work. And of that, 73% of it goes overseas. And in my heart, I was like, praise the Lord. But there is much for us to do. And you know me, I don't, I don't talk like a lot on this very subject. I just, I don't. God is amazingly faithful. And he will continue to be. But it's a reminder, and it's a reminder not from me, not from a man, but a reminder from the word itself. From God himself who teaches us this is where our priorities have got to remain. I don't know if churches are, are doing that, and yet the Apostle Paul, not only in Romans, but he, he gives to us, he makes it very clear what our top priority is to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3. What I received... What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That's priority number one. And I love this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And we have a responsibility. It says what? You, you go. And you tell the entire world. You go and you make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus Christ taught. And yet David Kim says this, the Great Commission will not be fulfilled with our spare time or our spare money. But it's, 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 like, it's like the Apostle Paul, like he knows something he, he is totally certain, he is totally convinced that his feeble little work, our, our feeble efforts, are, are accompanied by the ferocious power of the Most High God. What does he do? He quotes from the Septuagint here, the Greek Old Testament, and, and what the promises of the prophet in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. What is he speaking about here? Divine revelation. God's will is going to be accomplished. But guess what? He chooses us to be part of that. And in a degree of confidence, this is what is going to happen. Prophecy fulfilled. What an amazing blessing and encouragement to this preacher, to this missionary. That it's the Holy Spirit and not the individual that are going to bring people to repentance. Our job is to get a cup of cold water to the thirsty and as little fingerprints and smudges on that thing as you can get. 
That's our responsibility. Let me ask you, how, how confident are you that the world will see? I don't know if we give it a lot of time and attention. And, and, and bless our day and bless our family and help all of those people that, that have been born in places will live and die who have never heard the name of Jesus. How confident are you in the power of the Holy Spirit at work that the world will see, the world will understand? If we were as certain as the Apostle Paul, based on the assurance and the authority of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I, I think that we would all examine our life's investment into gospel work around the world. How, how will they hear without a preacher? And it says what? How beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news. I read this week, you want beautiful feet? Skip the pedicure and share the gospel. As I, as I close, I just want you to think and to ponder these questions, what, what are you doing to, to help the spread of the gospel abroad? You personally. What are you doing? How, how much, at some level, are you willing to sacrifice for the work of the gospel? We usually just kind of dump in enough to kind of make us feel okay, and we appease or, or I could ask this, how, how, about, how about this question to ponder? Who is sitting here this morning? Who here is willing to say, I'll go? Like, like, like people here have heard, okay? Who, who, who would be willing to say, I'm going to just kind of pack up as we pray for little ones? Well, maybe the little ones will do it. Maybe some of you got a little bit more kick left. God has sustained you with what? A beating heart for one more day. Maybe you begin to make the plans. Or who here is willing to directly support someone else who has gone or is in the process of going? Maybe he says, you know, I'm, I'm unable to. Physically, it's impossible. I cannot. But I tell you what, if they go down in the will, I'm going to commit to hold that rope. Author, theologian, and former pastor John Piper has oftentimes said the choices are simple. Go, send, or disobey. And I, and I cannot agree with that more. As I left you with this, David Platt says, who, who preaches on this as pastor at McLean, he says, somewhere along the way we have subtly and tragically taken the costly command of Christ to go, to baptize, and to teach all nations, and we've mutated it into a comfortable call for Christians to come, be baptized, and listen in one location. That's not us. This week I was given a letter. Um, and you know, it's, it's from abroad when there's stamps all over, like odd, weird-looking stamps. And, and it kind of looked at some level like a child had written on it, and it, and it was. And this note, I want to share with you bits and pieces. 
from one of our missionary families serving in such a dangerous place in the world that when we're live streamed like this, we, we can't even say their name lest they be in danger. And yet this, this family kind of packed up the comforts and the coziness and with their kids, they went over to one of those places where the 3.2 billion people live. This is a, a child, and this is to all of us, not just to me. This is to us as, as a church family. It says, to begin, thank you, Big Woods. Your support means so much to me. So right now, we're getting ready to go out to our team conference, and I'm very excited to hang out with some of my friends I haven't seen in a while. Listen to this. After the conference we'll be heading back into our village so that we can get ready for the outreach. For the outreach, we will be inviting people from all around into our village. Listen to this. So that they can, so that they can hear the gospel. And the little one writes this. Me and my family are very excited for this. This is a child. My, my family is so excited that others are going to hear the gospel. And most of you are excited about football season. It just started. And, and we spend more on the comforts and coziness rather than what? They continue on. And I, and I want to thank you again for your support and your prayers. And this last line brought tears to my eyes. We couldn't be here without you guys. Thank you. With love. That, that's the church, like, effective in ministry. And as we pray to be effective in ministry, we also understand that it's not just like pause here, like, knocking it out of the park. Praise God for faithfulness. Praise God for his provision. Praise God for sacrifice. But also pray that we have an ever-increasing heading out to those giving, supporting, praying to those places where the name of Jesus has not been heard. May we always be an effective church that is a mission-minded church. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. And we thank you for this reminder from the Apostle Paul. A reminder from the Holy Spirit that speaks to us directly. Father, if there's areas in any of our hearts, and, and I can confess in my own heart, it's so easy for me to focus on what's directly in front of me. As opposed to seeing the faces of those that have not heard the name of Jesus. God, we need your help direct us, guide us, steer us, convict us, use us, however you see fit. We ask this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen and amen.